0: welcome to so many bits i'm your host bill nielsen and joining me once again from this palatial voip line in the middle of the internet is cliff murphy cliff how are you I'm doing pretty well, Bill. Uh it's been a little while. How you doing? I'm doing all right, thanks. I uh you know, I'm just trying to hunker down and survive like what is maybe the first genuinely cold day of our Chicago winter here.
1: Oh yeah? Uh what's the uh what's the temperature where you're at?
0: We are at 9 degrees Fahrenheit. So Yikes. yeah, below zero Celsius. <laughs> Yikes,
1: yeah. yeah, pretty bad. Are uh, you getting a lot of snow there too? Uh, not to make the entire podcast about weather, but are you ma- getting a lot of
0: snow there? We got not really overall, it's been a very mild winter, very little snowfall. Like just this week, like the ba- even the second half of the week has been snowy and cold. and I think next week it's supposed to pop back above uh, zero again and just be mild.
1: Yeah, hopefully. Eh?
0: Yeah, here's hoping. I mean, uh, how are things going in Toronto? I mean, the Raptors are going wild again.
1: You know what? I'll take your word for it <laughs> because <laughs> I have no idea. All I know is that they were playing a game in Toronto on Friday night because that's when I was driving into Toronto. That's Ooh. about all I can tell you. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. The, the It's Spadina, right? Spadina is the road?
1: Uh, Spadina is one of the... Many it's roads a road off. <laughs> it is the road yeah it's that's the only a road, road fact about right that yeah yeah not a lot of people talk about that but uh hopefully next year we'll get another road and i think that uh, the congestion will just clear up by then
0: if you ever get trapped in a conversation about raptors basketball say mm-hmm. "Ooh, kyle lowry is a savvy veteran and that'll, <laughs> that'll get you skating by i think
1: Okay, all right. Uh, That's a good idea. I like to have like a line or two that uh, I could say for any sport uh, just so I can add to the conversation. Uh, For a long time, when hockey games were on, I would just casually lean over and say, you know, in my opinion, the Golden Knights are one of the best uh, expansion teams of all time. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) that worked well for a while. And then they, uh, didn't they make it to the final? Or they either won the final or they made it in the final. And then... uh, a lot of people would say, like, well, yeah, I would say that they're the best expansion team of all time. And I would say, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thanks for tuning in today. This is Weather and Sports Talk with Bill and Cliff.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we could have a uh, catchy paired nickname. I feel like Cliff is a really good name for, like, matching up with puns and stuff for, like, radio jockeys. What Do you have anything in mind? Can we go for anything on this? Uh, Cliff and the Diver.
1: Oh, Cliff and the Diver, here on 102.5. Holy
2: Diver, you've been down too long in the midnight sea.
0: And then every time you hear The Diver, uh, you get a quick sting of Holy Diver by Dio. You
1: have missed your calling in terms of radio hosting.
0: <laughs> we just needed to be born 30 years earlier, then there'd be a career out there for us.
1: Right? If only. It's it's too bad that your skill set is in a dying industry. <laughs> ah.
0: I'm oh, well. kidding.
1: We wow. love radio. We're on radio.
0: <laughs> We're basically doing radio right now. This is just radio for 2020.
1: This is 2020 radio. So uh, uh, you're bringing it back now, you know? It's coming back. That's all thanks to Bill.
0: Finally, someone notices.
1: <laughs> this has been the absolute longest unrelated intro for anything that we've ever done.
0: You know, we gotta keep pushing ourselves. It's like the, it's like the Las Vegas Golden Knights. They couldn't just be satisfied with being a Stanley Cup finalist. They need to keep pushing.
1: Right? Uh, that's uh, Kyle Lowry is just such a savvy veteran.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Later on, I'll be talking with Ashley about her new game, Pedal Crash. It's a uh, kind of puzzler based on different Game Boy or portable action puzzlers back from the mid to late 90s. And I hope you enjoy the convo. That sounds like it'll be an interesting interview. But first you and I have to do some screen watching. I was outside
2: watching some dear frolic. You don't even care about the outside, do you?
0: Let's do some screen watching. Cliff, you uh, brought to my attention that you had begun watching a show recently that happens to be a personal favorite of mine, too.
1: Well, I absolutely understand why. Uh, Folks, for those of you who are out there, we're talking about Steven Universe.
0: We are the crystal gems We'll always say and if you think we can, we we'll always find a way. That's why the people of this world believe in Garnet Emma, this and...
1: I am remarkably late to the party, but I am nevertheless glad that I came to this party. What a treasure of a show, Bill. Let me tell you, I, I plowed through all the five seasons of it or whatever in maybe about the span of a month. Real, real, real super enjoyable from start to finish.
0: I was amazed watching the entire, I guess technically run of the show. It is, there is a, a show called Steven Universe Future on, the, the. I guess technically that's a different series, but yeah.
1: Yeah, I haven't, uh, I've been trying to find it, and outside of paying for the episodes on YouTube, I haven't really found a good source for it, so I'm hoping to watch that pretty soon. I did see somewhere on YouTube. Uh, there was like an hour and a half long and it was titled <laughs> something like Every Episode of uh, Steven Universe Future. And uh, when I went back to look for it the next day, it wasn't there. So. <laughs> weird. <laughs> yeah, it
0: was so weird. I am also, yeah, a big fan of Steven Universe. I started watching it a few years ago and just uh, I'm amazed at how long it's been able to manage to string along this very, very intricate plot of like Steven and uh, his caretakers, the Crystal Gems, and, like, the mysteries around them and the greater lore of the universe they live in. And, like, all these wacky little uh, differences from, you know, regular Earth compared to their Earth and how things have developed differently. Because, apparently, the Crystal Gems have been present throughout history.
1: Yeah, for, like, 5,000 years or something like that.
0: Maybe my favorite little mystery is that you see at one point a map of Earth and like all the continents and stuff and there's a Mm -hmm. a hole where russia should be and no one Mm. ever explains why or how that happened it's just part of the world russia does not exist
1: interesting i did not notice that i should go back and look for some of that stuff i guess you know what if we're gonna if we're gonna be talking about some of this stuff it it, there might be a little bit of spoilery stuff i don't think we necessarily need to get into those i'll maybe i'll I'll try and tiptoe around that but there's a good idea yeah, uh, uh, there's uh, there's the one big one at the end of the first season, and there's the huge big one at the end of the series, and uh, uh, maybe it's best that we don't. We try to avoid uh, talking about those.
0: Sure, I think with the episode we're looking at, it wouldn't mm-hmm. be necessary. So yeah, we could totally uh, go around that. So we're going to be talking about Rose's Room, which is Season 1, Episode 19, original air date, May 14th, 2014.
1: The reason why we're going to be talking about this episode uh, is less about uh, the premise of the episode, which is that uh, Stephen finds that if there's uh, a room where his mother would have, his mother Rose Quartz would have used previously, and he has access to it, and he can go into this room and basically summon up whatever he wants, uh, which is uh, interesting. But that's not really what we're focused on. We're going to be focusing on uh, the tiny little clip in which uh, Stephen is seen playing a video game uh, in this episode. And despite the fact that this video game is on screen for maybe less than two minutes, there's a ton of little like, funny nuggets that are in the, in the shots that you see with
0: this game. That's right, yeah. So I guess to, to uh, step back, zoom out a little bit, uh, Steven Universe is this boy. Uh, he lives in a house with his three caretakers. They're the Crystal Gems. Uh, they are friends of his mother. His mother has passed away. And also, his dad is present, but does not live there, and is not like his, uh, I guess, probably legally he is the Guardian, but he's not really around. And the Crystal Gems go on missions to save the world from monsters, and sometimes Steven tags along. Uh,
1: it's, it's pretty neat. I've, I've Having finished watching the series, I went back and started watching it again, uh, mostly because I was left with a huge feeling of emptiness after I watched it all, and uh, <laughs> I, I was like, I just want to go back and just want more, so I just started re- re-watching it again. Uh, but it is super super interesting uh the difference in steven from the beginning of the series to the end of the series because i mean i know one of the themes is certainly like you know about his his growth and his development of his gem powers and all that sort of stuff but at the beginning of the series he's remarkably like annoying and overbearing and he's not confident in the stuff that he have and at the end of the series he's just so so different and and it's really interesting to see how gradual that that changes, uh, because there's such a huge difference between the start and the finish.
0: Right. Yeah, we are getting some very early on Stephen, who is still very naive and mm-hmm. juvenile, and mm-hmm. uh, you, you. It's so early on that the voice actor Zach Collison has not gone through puberty yet, so he's still <laughs> in his. Uh, I believe it's just like his child voice. Which is a really
1: very noticeable, <laughs> again, <laughs> yes. backtracking five years, as I'm sure it would be for all of us if you were to say like, oh, this is what you sounded like when you were 13, this is what you sounded like when you were 18, what a difference, yeah, like clearly, but yeah. it is, it is kind of clear. So in this episode, uh, Steven is really trying to, he, he really wants to hang out with the gems and you know, do something with them. In this episode specifically, uh, at the beginning of the episode, he's eating a bunch of uh, creamed corn so that he can get uh, discounted uh, mini golf tickets because he wants to go and play uh, mini golf with uh, with the gems. And he eats four cans so they can all go at the same time. <laughs> and a super good moment is uh, the gems return uh, to the house. And uh, Steven says, I've got four empty cans. And Pearl and Amethyst just stare at him and Garnet says, Cool. (laughs) 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 Only afterwards he explains why he's got these empty cans so they can all go golfing together. Uh, But when they say that they got to go out on a mission and they can't do it again, uh, Steven's left by himself and he says something along the lines of uh, you're not the only ones with a dangerous adventure to tackle and then in the very next shot it's shown that he's playing a video game which kind of brings up what we wanted to talk about in this and the game that he's playing is something called Golf Quest Mini which is Despite the fact that it's all, it's very very short. Uh, it's got tons of little like sight gags and little references, which are very, very cute and very accurate.
0: Oh yeah, because uh, the creator of the series, Rebecca Sugar, uh, like she and her, her partner Ian jones Cordy, who also work on the show, were big Nintendo fans growing up. They I like listened to interviews of them talking about like how they had like Nintendo sixty four and GameCube and. You can definitely see in this particular shot he has something that resembles but is legally distinct from a Nintendo 64 that he's playing golf or sorry mini sorry golf quest mini on.
1: Something that I actually appreciated it, it they never like say oh we're going to play this on the Nintendo or anything like that but He's playing something that really looks like the N64, and then later on in the series, he's playing something that really looks like the GameCube. Uh, those were the only two that I ever noticed, but it was kind of neat that it was like, "Oh yeah, that really, really looks looks like these," uh, which was really cool. Not only the the console itself, but the controller as well. It was, I thought, that was neat.
0: I took that to mean canonically that while maybe the family isn't like poor, they do like skimp maybe on buying modern electronics. So this is set in the modern day, but they're like, "Here, have this Nintendo 64 that came out a while back."
1: <laughs> that would kind of make sense. Yeah, they're not exactly. It doesn't seem like they're hurting for money, but it it I also like the idea that they're, you know, they're giving Steven the stuff that he wants even if it is like 10, 15 years outdated.
0: <laughs> like they just picked it up at a garage sale one day or it was like Greg's hand me down from a storage locker a long time ago. <laughs>
1: yeah, something like that. So this game, Golf Quest Mini, what you see on the screen here is uh, it's it's introduced and it really looks like it's a mashup of either Zelda or Pokemon or Final Fantasy. It looks like there's a whole bunch of different elements that are put together. Uh, the very first shot is with somebody who's named Professor Sandtraps who says, It's dangerous to go alone. Take this. And the character gets something called the Mithril Putter, uh, which is just wonderful blend of you know the golfing tropes and the rpg tropes and all this different sort of stuff uh steven's character immediately afterwards says don't worry professor we're gonna sink them all (laughs) which (laughs) is just directly related to pokemon which i think is very uh, it's very cute and if you if you know what's going on it's it's fun and it's funny but even if you don't necessarily know it just looks like he's playing a funny golf game
0: right yeah just the idea of steven being left alone to play video games and while away the hours i don't know if you you may not have had this same experience cliff just because i know you have siblings but this is that hit me where i live where it's like okay we're just gonna sit here for eight hours and play a video game
1: struck a personal chord with you eh?
0: a smidge yeah
1: after the character gets the mithril putter in there they leave, and you can see the party is walking around, and the whole overworld that he's in there looks like it's got flowers and grass, and it looks like Pokemon. But then the references to golf keep going, because as they're walking, uh, there's an exclamation mark, and this windmill of all things starts (laughs) running up to the party. And so it looks as if a Pokemon trainer sees you walk by, and then you gotta end up getting into a fight with them. But he's in this battle with a windmill, and it says, Windmill wants to fight! Which is, of course, you know, the Miniput trope. The character's name in there. It looks like the the main character's name is Ace, and there's another character named Lena, and there's another character named Wedge. And Wedge, I thought was particularly funny, just because it's also a, it's a golf club, but it's also a commonly used name in all the Final Fantasy games. Yeah, that was uh, a nice reference. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Uh, Steven scrolls through the different options. He's got attack, defend, and mulligan. And then he's got stroke, tech, and item, and then putt, chip, drive. So I have no idea what all of these different things are going to be doing in-game, and you never actually see it. Uh, he he chooses drive. This little golf meter shows up on the screen, hits the windmill with a golf, <laughs> with a golf ball, and the word par shows up on the screen, uh, which is just like beautifully written in the sense that it just mashes together all these video game and golf tropes like really 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 short next to each other a very rapid succession i thought it was very well done
0: it was really good yeah i even appreciated that like the command window resembles pokemon where it's the four commands just like you know fight item pokemon run even if they're different commands (laughs) yeah yeah
1: maybe uh run is replaced with mulligan here who knows
0: yeah, that that's that makes 100% sense here. It actually, it made me think of a thing they probably didn't think about, but seems like a snazzy game design idea for anyone listening. Where in mulliganing in Magic is you know you you put your hand back and you get a new hand of cards. Imagine a game where you had a bunch of like you had ten different commands, but you only ever got to see four, and you can mulligan the command list to get a new command list
1: (laughs) just to get a random that's a a random set of the different options that you have available to you oh god i hope i get the item command in this game
0: exactly yeah
1: as he's uh as he's doing all this and playing this uh it cuts and you see steven and he says man it would have been just like this which i thought was really funny because he's sweet just yeah that's it's sweet it's nice it cuts a little bit later. There's some transitions, and you see that it's later on in the day, and uh, Steven's fighting the final boss, who ends up being Professor Sandtraps, but he's huge and muscular, and he says something along the lines of, I can't lose. I'm the greatest golfer in the universe. Steven's party has been also been replaced by uh, two other people, so Ace is still there, but it looks like there's a dog <laughs> who kind of looks like a wolf, and uh, there's a robot there as well. I don't I don't necessarily know if they were thinking like Red Thirteen from Final Fantasy VII, uh, the robot there I mean you insert the robot from any game that you like but I thought oh it's Robo from Chrono Trigger or whatever that, neither one of them look like Red 13 or Robo but I was like ah maybe that's the reference
0: that seems like a thing they but would but
1: yeah do. he's I, I would imagine just a little I mean it's not its not too big of a, a stretch to be like oh there's a dog and there's a robot because it's a video game right uh, but maybe it was done done intentionally uh, but so Steven ends up beating it there. He gets the secret ending. Uh, his character approaches a door that says, Project Flog, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Steven says, that's golf backwards. And uh, at this point, he's trying to watch the cutscene, but the Crystal Gems arrive back in, and they're excited to see Stephen and show Stephen what, uh, what they've been doing. But uh, they get up and they get in the way of the television set and Steven's trying to watch and see the secret ending. But the funny thing is that as I was making notes for this episode, the Crystal Gems are getting in the way of Steven, but I'm trying to see what's going on in the TV in the background but they're getting in the way of the TV too. So they're getting in the way of Steve and Steven seeing the secret ending, but they were also getting in the way of me writing down my notes <laughs> for this episode. <laughs> so I was experiencing the exact same feeling that Steven was. I was like, no, get out of the way. Like, What do he say? It's It's the date he disappeared? What am I missing?
0: (laughs) And I'm sure it's like a thing that any well meaning parent could have happen to them where it's like they don't, they see a kid playing a game for hours. They don't know this is like the climactic moment in a movie that they shouldn't interrupt. They're just like, okay, I can probably just walk up at any random time and talk, and he can pause the game.
1: Yeah, it doesn't matter. I can, you know, walk in front of the screen. Who cares? Yeah, exactly. That's more or less it. Uh, Steven eventually goes into Rose's room, which is kind of like the room of requirement from Harry Potter. uh, See, I went exactly to Holodeck. I was thinking Holodeck. (laughs) Is that it? Well, it's it's (laughs) both. I mean,
0: a room that grants your wishes. Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's that's it. Uh, He wants to see the secret ending, and he sees the secret ending, and it was his father who was in there, and that's it, and... Then the main character says, saving the universe is par for the course. And I was like, this is great. It's kind of, it gets, it really feels like uh, if you ever played Golf Story on the Switch, kind of the same idea that you're playing golf, but it's also an RPG.
0: Have you played Golf Story? Cliff, I haven't. It's one of those games that like, I see it and I'm like, I think this game might be up my alley, but I never take the plunge.
1: Uh, if it ever comes on sale again, uh, I'd say pick it up because uh, it's pretty fun. I mean if you like golf it's a, it's a pretty good golf simulator as well despite the fact that it's you know it's all you know 16bit 2d whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's a pretty good golf simulator, uh, but it's fun, and you're just doing these other crazy side quests and stuff, and there's lots of other different things to do in the game. Uh, it's pretty cute. I would recommend it. There's uh, The sequel is coming out. I'm not sure when, but it's called Sports Story, but it's going to have golf and a bunch of other sports.
0: Nice, nice. Now, Cl- Cliff, I do have a question for you. Was that really the ending, the secret ending to Golf Quest Mini? Oh. Because...
1: Because it's just, it's just what The Room came up yeah, with. Yeah, right? and The
0: Room is probably pulling from Steven's memories of the game and what he would expect the ending to be. Oh, uh,
1: maybe it is. Well, I guess we'll never know. <laughs> That's a
0: good point. Not unless they really want to get back to it. And they still have time. They still have, like, I think they're winding down their run on uh, Steven Universe future, but they could get back to it.
1: They could do it. That's the question now that everybody is going to have. They're going to say, hey, was that the real ending to that sight gag takeaway thing? So we'll find out. Maybe it wasn't the real ending. Maybe it was something else.
0: Man, I, I, that's the last mystery. If they can solve that mystery, then I'm fully satisfied with Steven Universe going forward.
1: <laughs> so I think that that was, uh, despite the fact that uh, it was just, like I mentioned, like less than a minute, I would say, this this thing is on screen for i wrote down a whole page of different like references and notes and stuff on there so the the fact that they managed to squeeze all these little jokes and ideas uh, into this thing i think is is pretty darn remarkable i really i really liked it i think it's just it's just another nice little layer another little attention to detail that the whole series has
0: well then let's officially score this cliff so uh as always we're gonna score it on three criteria accuracy condescension and entertainment and just like with any video game we're going to score from a scale of six to ten uh so beginning with accuracy we're gonna go if if you thought this was completely inaccurate give it a six if you found it to be extremely lifelike accurate Give it a 10 for Steven Universe's portrayal of Golf Quest Mini. Uh,
1: I, I'd give it a 10. Uh, it I mean, it, it really looked like an N64. They clearly had all these different tropes from video games in there. Uh, I'd give it a 10.
0: I want to be picky. I want to be contrary, but I don't have any arguments. This is a 10. It's exactly like how I would imagine this video game should be portrayed. Yeah. Good. And then uh, next up is Condescension. If you found this to be... Not condescending towards gaming and gamers, give it a 6. If you found it to be extremely condescending, give it a 10.
1: I am going to go all the way on the opposite end of the scale here. Not condescending whatsoever. It was a kid playing a video game and enjoying himself and being really excited about seeing the ending and showing that it was something uh, valuable to him. Uh, Not condescending at all. 6.
0: Wow. Uh hmm
1: or oh, are you are you thinking the other way eh
0: no 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 i'm thinking like can i go to like a 6.5 like oh i think it's just a a very genuine on inoffensive portrayal of like what video games are like and it's like well it's probably not healthy that he's just like playing that game non-stop but that's not really condescending that just like shows the emotional void in his life yeah that's so i think i gotta go with a six that's
1: pretty realistic too i mean uh I can't think of anybody who plays video games that hasn't been like, oh, whoops, I played this for eight hours. (laughs) Like, I think that's that's pretty that's pretty realistic.
0: Okay, yeah, then we'll go with that. All right. (laughs) Uh, So lastly, then, and uh, I don't know if we're going to diverge much here either. Entertainment, if you found this to be completely unentertaining, you wanted to shut it off halfway through, give it a six. And if you really, really liked it, give it a ten.
1: I give it a ten. I mean, everything in this uh, show is uh, is well done and uh, creative, and even just these little these little pieces and little attention to detail, you can tell are done or crafted with care. So, uh, it's just another uh, it's just another piece of an overall spectacular puzzle. So,
0: ten. I give it a ten. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, I got to go with a 10 as well. uh, I'm a huge fan of Steven Universe. I really enjoyed the scene. I wish they had more opportunities to really get into video games. They did do a whole episode called Arcade Mania that we covered in an earlier uh, So Many Bits episode. So if you want to check that out, that's also from season one. It's silly. It's got some fun stuff going on. Fully recommend that one as well. (laughs) Uh,
1: I think that you could probably describe the entire series like that. It's silly and it's got some fun stuff going on. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That's true. uh, But with with an enormous amount of heart sprinkled in there too, you know?
0: And some songs! And some
1: songs! I have been listening to the soundtracks uh, over and over and over again.
0: Oh yeah, it's great. Are you going to like pick up the vinyl? There's a vinyl out there with like all the different... uh...
1: I don't know if I would go so far as to get the vinyl, but... Gosh, maybe I will. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. This is a great episode in a another great episode in a great show.
0: Cliff I will also recommend that if you are looking for a mobile game to play, Steven Universe Attack the Light is a really good mobile game. It's a fun RPG. It's got like some timing-based attacks like Paper Mario style. It's not too uh, It's not too big. It's like, you know, maybe five or six hours to see everything there is to see. But I had fun the whole way playing it. That
1: is awesome that you bring that up because I am more or less looking for a mobile game to play.
0: <laughs> they actually also just released Steven Universe Unleash the Light. And that's uh, for Apple Arcade only, I think, right now. But I think Attack the Light is good enough that you should go back and play that first before Unleash. Anyway. Cool okay yeah i'll uh, i'll check them out great recommendation thank you and uh that will conclude our screen watching segment cliff uh we'll come back after this uh break but first here is my interview we are back from break. Joining me on this palatial VoIP line in the middle of the internet is Ashley, the Grand Poobah over at Friend and Fairy. Uh, Ashley is currently working on the game Pedal Crash uh, that was just recently at PAX South and is in development right now. So Ashley, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much for having me. First, for people who may not be familiar with the game Pedal Crash in advance, could you give like maybe like a one to two minute introduction of what the game is all about.
2: Pedal Crash is an action puzzle game, sort of in the tradition of Japanese action arcade puzzle games of the late 90s, sort of made in the style of a Game Boy Color game. It's not a clone of anything, it's actually a new original puzzle that's based around sliding blocks. So you have a play field with blocks on it, and new blocks start to appear as you make moves, and when you slide a block it'll just keep going until it hits something. And if it hits another block and that block is the same color, then the blocks will burst. So the objective of the game is to clear as many blocks as you can. But the sort of fun twist behind it is that when blocks burst, they actually push all the blocks next to them outward. And when they push the blocks outward, those blocks can, in turn, run into other blocks of the same color. And then those ones will burst, and then those ones will push ones outward and such. So if you line them up correctly, you can actually make, like, big impressive chain reactions that are worth tons of points. And it has lots of different game modes. There's the sort of standard, like, solo score attack mode where you can play against the timer or play with a limited amount of turns and try to get as many points as you can. There is a versus mode where... It's kind of a tug of war battle between you and another player who has their own board. And you try to clear as many blocks as possible, and if you make chain reactions it'll actually like cause interference on the uh, the opponent's board and put garbage down, sort of Puya style. And there's also a puzzle mode where you have a preset puzzle board and a limited sort of set of moves to try and solve it, which has turned out pretty fun so far. There's also going to be a story mode where you fight computer opponents one after the other. And a built in puzzle editor, so you can
0: make your own puzzles and share them with your friends. oh, that's pretty awesome. So if you're making your own puzzles, then within the context of the game itself, like all the design for how the puzzle uh setup works has to be documented right
2: oh yeah, it's pretty simple there's oh that speaking of actually, there is going to be a built in sort of how to play like demo mode that tells you the sort of finer points of the mechanics. The way it works is really simple. It's pretty self-explanatory. But there are a couple of little corner cases here and there. But those are all explained within the game itself.
0: So it's all really consistent and pretty easy to understand. The, the design of the puzzles, was that all... Did it start out with a single uh, kernel of an idea? Or was it all fully intact and formed like just and it hit you all at once? Definitely more
2: of the hit-me-all-at-once as far as the base mechanics. Um, a lot of finer points of it had to sort of be refined over time as I worked on it, but... Um, I, It hit me so much all at once that I actually have, like, a date of when I came up with the idea. So, I came up with it one night while I was going to bed. Just sort of... I was going through kind of a phase of, like, playing a bunch of these old puzzle games, like, trying to find ones that, like... I'd never heard of or tried before and just playing all sorts of different ones and then just one night I was just going to bed and just thinking about sort of like interactions between pieces and stuff and the way all these games work and I was just thinking about it might be fun if there's one where you like have a board and you like slide them around and then they like blow up and then they push other ones around and that might be fun and then I was thinking a bit more about it and I was like this actually sounds pretty cool I'll like make a prototype of it tomorrow So that night was April 18th, 2019. And then April 19th, I made the first working prototype.
0: Pretty quick turnaround.
2: (laughs) Well, it's a pretty simple idea. Like, I have a GIF I'm looking at, just with some squares, and they just moved around. And sort of as I would, like, refresh it, because there was no way of, like, adding new blocks to it. It was just completely bare bones. And then I realized that, like, you could rearrange it really actively to like make different chain reactions and like just from messing around with it for like 10 minutes I was already starting to see like the possibilities and like how you can get really good at sort of arranging these little blocks correctly and making these big impressive like cascading chains even just looking at this gif now I can already see like ways I could have made it better (laughs) like made the chain go on longer like if I started it off with those red ones instead of that yellow one But then I realized that, like, this is something special. This is, like, something that hasn't been done before, as far as I knew. And it's already just fun to interact with in this really bare-bones form. So by the end of that first day when I was making this prototype, I was like, this is my next project, I think. This is it. It sort of felt like kind of lightning in a bottle, you know? Like, I don't really feel like I invented it as much as I, like, discovered it, if that makes sense.
0: I I imagine at this point it's got its very own personalized touch did you before getting any deeper into it like check other games to make sure this kind of thing hadn't been done before
2: (laughs) well it was a puzzle game deep dive which like set me off on this whole journey but I definitely like kept looking and one thing is that I kept this this game a secret while I was working on it because if it was a completely original puzzle idea I didn't want, like, some mobile game company, like, taking the base mechanics and then, like, making a clone of it before I could even get it done, just in case it was something completely original.
0: And that is a legitimate concern, right? I know, uh, for example, like, the developers behind Threes, they, they, to an extent, got their lunch eaten by 2048.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that's sort of the classic story. Threes getting just completely, like... I think they said something along the lines of, like, they don't mind other people, like, taking their game ideas and, like, iterating on them, but they would have liked to have enjoyed some of the success first, you know?
0: That's entirely fair and reasonable, so I I can see why you would be, be secretive at first. Another reason I kept the game a
2: secret is because, like, some... a philosophy I've had with this game is that I feel like the mechanics are very, like, pure and elegant, not, like, talking myself up, just sort of... I feel like I've stumbled upon something pretty special here... I feel like it's got one shot to kind of prove itself, so with a new puzzle game especially, even really simple puzzle games are going to have like a learning curve to them. And it's been a really long time since somebody's like pitched a new puzzle game of this type that like works completely differently, as far as I know from other ones. It's got kind of a lot of like puyo in its DNA with its sort of emphasis on chain reactions and the versus mode that like sort of sends interference blocks over. I think Puyo was the first game to really do that. It being like a top down, like sliding block game where you can sort of take all the time you need to line up the shots and everything, and the sort of different mechanics of how things can affect each other when they like blow up and push other blocks next to each other. To sell a game like this, not like sell in the commercial sense, but sell in, I guess, in sort of the wrestling sense, like (laughs) to sort of like really drive it home. Is I feel like puzzle games rely a lot more on like polish and presentation than other games that might be more purely mechanical might. In like the two thousands, early two thousands, puzzle games for a while got very like minimalistic and aesthetic. Were got very much there's this idea of like, oh this is just like pure mechanics. Like really aesthetically they have their own aesthetic to I'm not to say they're sterile, like luminous had like all kinds of aesthetics packed into it, but something like a uh, planet puzzle league for nintendo d s they just kind of got rid of all the characters and made it like just a very pure like gameplay focused game
0: yeah, yeah, I know what you mean yeah
2: i I feel like there's a lot of appeal in having a game that has like sort of a world and characters that you can get attached to, <laughs> so I wanted to make it a game that was a puzzle game that had like characters and like a mascot or such that can sort of help draw you into the world of the game and sort of get you attached to it before you even start playing it, if that makes sense. Not just because that wasn't like a shrewd business decision. That's also a very like, I would have done it even if it wasn't a good idea, just because that's why I like to have a puzzle game with characters. But I put a lot of thought into like people's first impression with the game, which is why I kept it completely secret until it was ready to... Is practically half done by the time it was announced. I I basically yeah I had a lot of investment in the idea of making a strong first impression, if that makes
0: sense. Well, that's good. I mean, even if your choices weren't necessarily inspired by uh, marketing, it seems like they were strong and constructive for being a well marketed game when it comes out, perhaps more as a closer to finished product than that probably gives a stronger presentation.
2: Another thing is that I feel like having its own really distinct aesthetic and its own characters sort of help guard a little bit against sort of the danger of the game being cloned and (laughs) some people just sort of making a knockoff of it because game mechanics, you can't really copyright. You can patent them, but that's extremely expensive. But the characters and the world and stuff is something that can't really be copied if people are invested in it. I guess the thing about it, why I put so much effort into the presentation than I otherwise would have, is because I'm extremely proud of it. I'm really proud of what I've made, and I really want to give it, like, the best possible chance it has to sort of prove itself to people who might not be, like, somebody who plays a lot of video games or a lot of puzzle games. Because something I've discovered while making Pedal Crash is that, like, most people's idea of what a puzzle game is now is completely different from what a puzzle game was back in, like, 1996 or 7, which is sort of where I took the inspiration from Pedal Crash, where it's... Nowadays, like, people think of a puzzle game as, like, a match-three, kind of like a candy crush or a bejeweled sort of situation, where you have, like, a bunch of pieces and then you just kind of swap them around and then a bunch of lights and colors happen, (laughs) you know? But pedal crash requires a bit more, like there's more of a learning curve to it because you have to have an understanding of the way these pieces interact with each other to really kind of get a lot out of it.
0: And it's a it's a competitive game too, right? It's you you are either playing against an AI or a person, right?
2: It, it's a, definitely a a big focus on the competitive aspect.
0: Like, there's a lot
2: of game modes in it that aren't competitive at all, like the puzzle mode or the score attack mode, but the story mode is focused on the competitive aspect because you're fighting AI opponents, and so you have to learn how to like clear the blocks and then start to sort of clear them under heavier time pressure to sort of work around when your board gets crowded by garbage from the opponent, how to like intentionally set up the chains, but without taking too much time on them. It's, I feel very rewarding to get good at it, but I am was very concerned about like people trying it and then not figuring it out immediately and then just sort of giving up on it, which is also actually one reason why I haven't provided a playable demo. I
0: was going to ask because you just recently showed the game at PAX South, and I was wondering how that went. The thing about that is I was actually extremely anxious
2: about its reception at PAX South. Is I was, like, convinced that people would sort of walk up to it and then like try it for 30 seconds and then not understand it or like they would load up the little tutorial I made and then sort of like get bored halfway through and just walk away and sort of not bother you know because but I was actually extremely pleasantly surprised by the reception it got like it I was blown out of the water by how well it did people actually did take the time to like sort of watch the little tutorial and they had a whole lot of fun like they couldn't put together big chain reactions or anything but just like sliding the blocks around and like seeing them go and then matching the colors like that was fun enough for beginners which made me extremely happy like i didn't want pedal crash to be a game that you had to be good at in order to enjoy so just people like trying it for the first time and just sort of figuring out this the very most basic interactions of it was fun to people and i was also very surprised by, like, the range of different people that enjoyed it. There was, like, obviously, like, the the PAX crowd is a lot of, like, I guess you would call hardcore gamers who would likely be familiar with stuff like Puyo and Tetris Attack and things like that, of these sort of action puzzle games of this genre. But a lot of people who, like, by their own admission, like, don't even really play video games very much, would still like walk up and try Pedal Crash and then they would like match the two blocks together and they'd blow up and they'd be thrilled and they'd be like, this is so fun! And I was just completely like shocked by like how much fun people had with it and very, very happy. Also, most of those people, when I showed them the phone version, like flipped out (laughs) and were like really excited to play it on their phones, which made me happy. I was already confident in Pedal Crash just from the perspective of like a puzzle game fan. I'm a big puzzle head, and I had a lot of fun with it, so I was sure, like, other big puzzle heads would have a lot of fun with it. But, like, just people playing it casually had a lot of fun, too, and that made me really
0: excited. You felt a personal pride when you saw how the game was shaping up. You you felt uh, comfort and uh, appreciation when people liked it. Uh, How did you feel, then, when the Kickstarter funding went uh, so smoothly? Like, it looks like from KickTrack it was uh, past the funding goal within, like, 10 days.
2: Yeah, it raised, like, a third of it in, like, the first day. I was expecting we were going to hit our goal. Like, if I didn't think we could hit a goal, I wouldn't do a crowdfunding campaign. Like, I already had something of an audience from Grappleforce Arena. Not a terribly large audience, but sort of just having had worked on a major project, especially a solo project, and bringing it to release, kind of gave me a bit of credibility in terms of, like, if I said I'm gonna make another game, I'm gonna actually do it, you know? Because a lot of crowdfunding, like, a lot of those projects just don't shape up or materialize at all. And so when you're asking for, like, money from people, I feel like it's really important to demonstrate that you're able to do it. Which is another reason why I waited so long before it was, like, already half done. But I definitely wasn't expecting that it would be that successful. Like, we ended up raising 180 percent of our goal, and then there was even some extra beyond that. So a funny story, actually. When I made the Kickstarter campaign, I just did like a sort of a standard smattering of rewards, like this will get you the game when it comes out, this will get you some early access. Here's some physical rewards, like a fun poster. I'm really happy with the way the poster out by my friend Ruby came out. by the way. It turned out super good. Anyway, yeah, we had a sort of a regular smattering of rewards. And then I put, like, a big ridiculous reward in for, like... If you pledge $2,000, then you'll get a character in the game you can actually play as. In some (laughs) modes. Like, with all of their own animations and their own, like, victory quotes and everything. And their own, like, background and background music. Like, if you give $2,000 to Pedal Crash, you can have a character and, like, play as them. And I was expecting that, like... It was sort of a long shot that anybody would go for it at all. And I left two of the slots open. And uh, we ended up getting three. <laughs> Funny story behind all three of those. Because the, all three of those characters have like a remarkable like little tale of how they managed to get in. So the first character, uh, Libby, was a public domain mascot character designed by Tyson Tan, who is the artist who is actually working as the character designer on Freedom Planet 2 right now. He sort of has his own following, because he has his own very unique style and aesthetic sense that people are a big fan of. He makes like a lot of furry characters who are also like sort of robotic, and they have a, like, a very distinct look to them. And Libby is one of these characters who was designed as a mascot for LibreOffice, which is was called OpenOffice at some point. It's like an open source Microsoft Word kind of program.
0: I think I've used OpenOffice at some point, yeah. Uh,
2: Tyson Tan's a huge fan of open source in general. So he designed this character Libby as like a mascot for like a mascot contest. But the contest was kind of like bodged in a way. Like they didn't really properly represent the character and they ended up not getting picked, even though Libby was like clearly the most popular. And so after Libby was rejected as the mascot, uh, Tyson put her in the public domain. So anybody could just use her for anything. And Libby ended up just having a lot of fans just kind of completely independently of anything. Especially in the Galaxy Trail Discord server, where there's a lot of, like, big Libby fans. So me being in the Galaxy Trail Discord server on account of having made a Galaxy Trail game, when I announced it, uh, Pedal Crash, and had, like, the uh, the $2,000 put a character in level, a bunch of people in the Galaxy Trail Discord were like, we should raise the money and put Libby in it, and then Libby will be like playable in a game finally. <laughs> <laughs> and they actually did. So they put together their own like fund to raise $2,000 to put Libby in the game, Pedal Crash. Uh, most of it was contributed by one person in the Discord, uh, Scoodles, who had some extra money and didn't have much of an idea of what to do with it so he kind of put together this whole fund and then contributed like most of the funds himself and then other people in the galaxy trail discord ended up contributing the rest and they put Libby in that's amazing (laughs) so that's one of them the next one um so have
0: you played shovel knight i have played shovel knight are you familiar with the baz uh so you know before we started this (laughs) conversation i was googling Pedal Crash, just to, you know, get some idea of the whole situation. And one of the links that popped up was for Pedal Crash the Baz DLC. And I was like, what in the world? Uh, So tell us about the Baz.
2: About the Baz. um, For those who are not familiar with the Baz, the Baz is sort of a creation of the Super Best Friends YouTube channel people who I am somewhat familiar with. He's based on a rejected character concept, again, (laughs) for a character from Street Fighter 2. They, like, found him in the concept art and sort of, like, immediately latched onto him. And he was a rejected character concept, and his design is kind of baffling, so the whole joke behind the Baz is that he kind of sucks. And people love it. (laughs) So, the Baz kind of became, like, a running gag for the Super Best Friends people, and... They sort of started, like, whenever there was a Kickstarter to, like, get a character in something, they would kickstart to put the Baz in. And that's how the Baz ended up in Shovel Knight. That's how the Baz ended up in Dive Kick. And
0: uh, a lot more games besides. Uh, He's an Indivisible, even. Now I really have to get to Indivisible. Indivisible is in my backlog, so I've got extra (laughs) incentive now.
2: Super Best Friends has since uh, disbanded. Funnily enough, the last indie game that Super Best Friends... Uh, covered before they disbanded was Grapple Force Arena, my game. (laughs) So I was very appreciative that they like took the time to like showcase my game before they broke up. It's a it's a noteworthy accomplishment. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. So even though the Super Best Friends have since disbanded, uh, their fan base is still alive and well, as well as the fan base of the Baz. So when I had a Kickstarter thing of pay two thousand dollars and you get a character in it a bunch of people uh, were like, "Hey, we should get together and like raise the money to put the Baz in this." <laughs> and uh, they did. Like, so funnily enough, this time the Kickstarter, like the way they raised the money was another Kickstarter. While Pedal Crash Kickstarter was still running called the Baz Everywhere System, it was their usernames are Celio Hogane and MG Scab were the two sort of big people behind it. Oh, MG Scab. Yeah, yeah, the the very same. Unlike the Libby people, since Libby is explicitly public domain, there's really like no limit on what you can do with Libby. So I didn't have to like clarify anything about who had the rights to Libby or anything before people would crowdfund to put her in. So, but with the Baz, the Baz is not really explicitly public domain. His whole situation's kind of weird. So I had to make the Baz people like jump through a whole lot of hoops. I also wasn't that familiar with the Baz, so I did, like, a lot of Baz research to see if, like, the Baz was something I would have even wanted to be in Pedal Crash. Baz Baz seems a little rougher around the edges than the other characters, (laughs) maybe? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was a big concern of mine, because, like, Pedal Crash, the game, is very, like, genuine. It's very... It's not, like, a parody of itself. It's, like, got the characters, and it's very earnest in the way it handles them and their stories. So having a character who was like inherently a joke, I didn't really want it to like cheapen it. But uh, I put them through a whole lot of hoops. I said like, if you can get the permission of like the people who are traditionally associated with putting the Baz in Kickstarter stuff, which are people who were from super best friends who are like super internet popular and not necessarily easy to get a hold of. Like if you can get the permission and then like have their blessing for it and get the money together, then I'll put the Baz in but they did it I, I gave them like this impossible task and they did it <laughs> like their dedication was like uh, like remarkable like i gave, i put like every obstacle in the path and they overcame all of them and i was like these people really love the Baz, and they love my game and they love my game enough that they want to put the character they love in it and i was very touched and also as i did research on the Baz, i started to root for the guy myself <laughs> And the fact that he, like, fits in so poorly with, like, Pedal Crash's aesthetic as, like, this big, burly, like, leather-clad, bearded guy (laughs) among, like, all these characters who are based around, like, flowers. It just was very funny to me. So, that's the story of how the Baz got in. So, if you are a fan of the Baz from Shovel Knight or Divekick or Indivisible, you'll be able to enjoy him in Pedal Crash, too. There's one more character who... The character themselves has not been really sort of revealed yet, because they're not fully designed. But uh, the story of how that backer got, became aware of Pedal Crash. So, are you familiar with Yoshi's Cookie?
0: Somewhat, yeah. It was like an NES game. Uh, like, uh, top stacking puzzles and like moving cookies around to make matches.
2: Are you familiar with the Global Yoshi's Cookie League? No. Or the GI or the GYCL. Uh, I am not familiar with the GYCL okay, so there's basically a sort of small but very dedicated group of people keeping the competitive scene of Yoshi's cookie alive and uh, they've made one of my favorite videos of all time, which is a uh, versus Yoshi's cookie match with like incredibly frantic and energetic commentary by the commentator HDDB Dogs Breakfast. It's basically... I can't really do it justice, but it's hilarious. It's one of my favorite videos of all time, and I like... When I made Pedal Crash, I was like, it would be my absolute dream if HDDB Dogs Breakfast would commentate, like, a Pedal Crash versus match. (laughs) (laughs) And so I made a a tweet about that on uh, the Pedal Crash official Twitter, just being like, how do I get in touch with these people? <laughs> and uh, they found me really easily. They were sort of already aware of Pedal Crash because their finger is like on the pulse of the puzzle scene and uh, they want they're want to like keep the esports alive in terms of puzzles. And one of the people involved in the GYCL, the voice behind HDDB Dog's Breakfast himself, was the one who snatched up the last uh, hidden character. So They paid $2,000, though, to do this, right? Yes! (laughs) So, so, like, this, this person who made this video that I just absolutely adore invested so much in my game, and I just could not have asked for, like, things to have gone any better. Like, I remember when I first was going to put the hidden characters in Petal Crash, I was sort of, like, stealing myself to be like... make sure they were like explicitly not canon just in case I got like okay this is going to be like some network administrator's fursona or whatever Mm -hmm. but I'm so happy with like the selection of characters we've gotten and like the the sources of the characters and like the passion people have for them that I've decided that like all the hidden characters in Pedal Crash can go ahead and just be a part of the world and a part of the story
0: oh that's excellent I really want to know how how Baz fits into this wider lore
2: (laughs) Uh, yeah, it's. I've got a lot of really funny ideas for the Baz <laughs> <laughs> that are true both to the spirit of Pedal Crash and to the character of the Baz. I actually haven't talked a whole lot about the story and characters of Pedal Crash yet, but um, I know we don't have a whole lot of time, but something very important I want to get out is
0: that... I actually hired a writer this time. I would love to actually have you talk about the other people involved with the project. Yeah, just all, all, everyone.
2: Wonderful. Okay, I'll talk about everyone. The writer is uh, Zach Morrison, who does the webcomic Paranatural, which I am an enormous fan of and have been for a long time. So I wanted to hire Zach to write something like, for a long time, while I was working on Grappler Force Arena. I was thinking about like, my next game. Because Rapplet Force Arena, the story kind of came out a bit of a mess, in my opinion. I'm happy with like the character writing in it, but the overall plot came out kind of kind of a bit muddled. And I'm not really entirely happy with it. So I was thinking that for my next game, I'd hire a writer. And my favorite writer is Zack Morrison. <laughs> <laughs> and then I saw they were putting in... They, they made like a post on their Twitter, like, being like, hey, I'm taking writing commissions now, if anybody's interested. And I was like, I'm interested! (laughs) (laughs) So I uh, ran the whole project by Zach over email, and uh, they were actually, like, super down for it, like, the story and the premise and sort of the format of it, because Zach's strength is, like, character writing and dialogue, and a puzzle game like this in this format is, like, all dialogue. It's sort of, like... Like, how in a fighting game, there'd be like little character banter before a match and then after, and such like that, and not necessarily a lot of like prose or anything of that sort. And I designed the characters uh, visually and also like sort of laid out their concepts and their personalities. But uh, when I brought Zach on board, we really started to kind of come up with like who defines or what defines these characters as like people and their motivations. It came up with a lot of like interesting angles. Like, there's no, like, joke endings or anything. All of these characters, like, get genuine, like, pathos and, like, investment in their story when you play as them. But also, the game is turning out very, very funny. Excellent. Excellent. It's just, like, the absolute perfect mix of, like, comedy, but also, like, genuine, like, sentimentality that I'm really happy with. So, Zach is great. The music is being done by Michael Staple, a musician who worked on uh, lots of other game projects including Spark the Electric Jester and Spark the Electric Jester 2, and Michael Staple also worked on Grapple Force Arena. I already kind of had a working relationship with him, and uh, all of the musicians who worked on Grapple Force Arena were just excellent, but when I like started um, contacting people to see who would be interested in working on Pelicrash. Michael Staple was actually super excited about the project from the very beginning. When I was showing just, like, the basics of what I had down. Before I even had, like, the character sprites in the game. He thought it looked super cool. So, he wanted to do the entire soundtrack by himself. Instead of, like, having, like, a team. He, he like, was really excited to tackle the whole project. And uh, he nailed down, like, the aesthetic of it, like, perfectly. Like, if you watch the Pedal Crash trailer, he did the music for the trailer. And I still listen to that music, like, on loop while I'm going for a walk and never get tired of it. The music for the game itself... Um, so, the game is sort of like a Game Boy Color game, which I picked because it would be the easiest to solo develop. So, it sounds like a Game Boy game, too, as far as the in-game music goes. But uh, I had this idea that, like, since pure Game Boy music can kind of get grating after a while... I wanted something that sounded like Game Boy music, but was sort of fuller, and sort of a bit more rich. So I suggested we use a sound limited by the Game Boy sound chip, but adding two sample channels. And the way Michael implemented that was really ingenious, because he made them like really lo-fi sample channels, like 4-bit like PCM channels. So he can make the sound of like a flute, but it sounds like what a flute would sound like if it was coming out of a Game Boy. <laughs> It ends up sounding very, like, aesthetically true to the Game Boy, but a lot fuller and richer.
0: We like the sound of the Game Boy, but we remember it maybe a little better than it actually sounded.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's like Game Boy music as you remember it, not how it actually was. Me and Zach and Mike are the three main people working on the game. Well, it's like, it's it's mostly me, but with uh, Zach on writing and then Michael on music... But we've had a little bit of help from some other people, um, including my friend Ruby, who did, I commissioned to do the cover art, which is also used as like the poster art, which turned out absolutely fantastic. It features all the characters sort of in floating in free space with like the blocks flying everywhere and they're all like very expressive and reacting to what's happening. And then you have the mascot character Lulibri in the front just like waving to the player like, come join us in our new puzzle world. It's very fantastic. And then uh, my friend Jill is helping me with a bit of the code stuff that I can't do myself, uh, particularly with the AI and with uh, compressing the puzzle codes down into sort of compact, shareable strings instead of just having an enormous, just raw string of puzzle data. So the idea being that when the puzzle editor is available, which when the game comes out, uh, when you make a puzzle, it'll just kind of make a string of text that you can just
0: tweet or, like, share with friends, and when they put that in their game, they'll just get the whole puzzle. Ah, uh, okay. I assumed it was important. I just, I wasn't quite sure in, it, what the uh, what the exact consequence was.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: my friend Jill
2: helped me out a lot with, like, getting that from an enormously long string of, like, numbers to a comparatively short string of, like, lots of, like, characters that just contains all the information of the puzzle. I didn't really want there to be, like, a central server or whatever of puzzles. I, I really kind of wanted to have it, like, decentralized so that even if the game stops being supported down the line someday in the far future, people would still be able to make and share puzzles just fine. And Stevie Galaxy Trail, Strife, his name is not Stevie Galaxy Trail, his name is uh, Stephen Duro. but I just call him Stevie Galaxy Trail so people know who I'm talking about. He's... Uh, Working as the publisher again this time, Uh, he helped me out a whole lot with, like, bringing me to PAX South in the first place. I absolutely would not have been able to show Pedal Crash at PAX South without him. And he's helping, like, just with a lot of, like, the logistics and the finances and a lot of the sort of boring stuff that goes on behind the scenes that I'm not really good at. He also helped a lot with the way we announced Pedal Crash is we did kind of a cross-promotion where we had a video presentation called the Galaxy Trail Mix, where it was sort of a mix of information about Freedom Planet 2 and also served as the announcement for Pedal Crash. So that helped get a whole lot of eyes on it from people who are primarily excited to hear more about Freedom Planet 2. Is that where the uh, Freedom Planet 2 jokes come from? <laughs> oh, you saw those on my uh, on my Twitter? <laughs> yeah, yeah. One part of working with Galaxy Trail... Is that uh, Galaxy Trail is known primarily for Freedom Planet, which is their like flagship franchise, and so far was the only one that was released under the Galaxy Trail brand before Grapple Force Arena, my game, came out. So when Grapple Force Arena was announced, a lot of people thought, well, rather when it was announced that Galaxy Trail was publishing it, a lot of people were like excited and cool to see that Galaxy Trail was doing something different. But a lot of people were, like, infuriated that Galaxy Trail would put any amount of, like, time or resource into something that wasn't finishing Freedom Planet 2. Which, just to clear the air here, uh, Grapple Force Arena and Pedal Crash are taking no resources whatsoever from Freedom Planet 2. Like, nobody involved in making Freedom Planet 2 worked on Petal Crash or Grapple Force Arena to any, like, huge degree. But people were like, oh, Freedom Planet 2 got delayed because they're making Grapple Force Arena and Pedal Crash instead of making the game we really want. Mm. There's a lot of people talking about that kind of thing. So Mm. that's when I made the joke of like, oh, this is the experience of announcing a new game under the Galaxy Trail label. It's just everybody's like, where's Freedom Planet 2? When's Freedom Planet 2 coming out? But largely everybody has been very supportive. It's just like sort of a loud contingent of people who only want to see Freedom Plan 2 and nothing else.
0: Okay, understood. Yeah, that's too bad. Uh, I do have uh, two more uh, final questions for you, if you don't mind, before we uh, wrap this interview. First of all, uh, we are recording this at 5 p.m., 5.02 p.m. Central Time on Sunday, February 2nd, a.k.a. a half hour before the beginning of the Super Bowl. So, Ashley, who's going to win? The 49ers or the Chiefs? I wouldn't have even known who was playing unless you asked me. That's just the kind of improvisational wizardry I need to know who to bet on. What were the teams again? The 49ers, the San Francisco 49ers, and the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, this is not a bit,
2: I promise. (laughs) Um, I just genuinely don't know. I would say 49ers because that's the team I recognize. Okay, all right, they're a good team. I don't mean this as like any sort of disrespect for people who are invested in the Super Bowl. I just
0: don't know. (laughs) <laughs> and then, uh, lastly, uh, this is a question or a set of questions that I ask all of my guests because I feel like there's a a shared community knowledge about Pokemon, whether from the the anime or from the Game Boy games or the DS games, et cetera, or even from Pokemon Go. Uh, so I've never heard of Pokemon. Oh, okay, uh, that's unfortunate. I'm just am just <laughs> kidding. I'm just kidding. I know Pokemon. Uh, so uh, the, the, good that one was a bit <laughs> good. Uh, with that in mind. Uh, of all the Pokemon, if you could choose one Pokemon to have as a pet, one Pokemon mm-hmm. to be, and one mm-hmm. Pokemon to eat, uh, which would they be? Oh. Okay, okay. One Pokemon
2: to eat, I'm just going to go with off the top of my head. I would say Bounce Sweet looks like a fun fruit. I'm a vegetarian, so I don't eat meat, but Bounce Sweet is like a cherry, so. I feel like even though it's like a sort of living, sentient cherry, it's still vegetarian if you eat one.
0: Cool, and and if you prefer, you could eat the byproduct of a Pokemon as well. Uh, oh, so oh, like okay. uh, whatever, like a leaf from a Bulbasaur. What's that new one,
2: Alcremie? That one like is explicitly like a dessert Pokemon that you can eat off of without harming it. Ooh, I think I the, my first. I intense... think that's a new one from Sword and Shield.
0: Alchemy, yes. Yes, it looks like it's a... It's like the the frosting on top of a cake, it looks like.
2: Yeah. Oh, I just had a cupcake yesterday that was, like, all frosting, and it was so good.
0: This Pokemon probably sheds, and you could probably consume whatever it sheds.
2: I'm sure it's fine. So, a Pokemon to have as a pet. Now I'm thinking of, like, which one is, like, the cutest, or, like, which one would be the most useful to have as a pet, if I could pick any of them. Because... I could pick, like, oh, Arceus, and now I'm (laughs) all-powerful. But uh, I feel like that's sort of not in the spirit of the question. It's sort of gaming the system a bit. To have as a pet, I would say Rotom. Rotom, okay. I'm a big fan of Rotom in general, and I think it would be, like, fun and useful, sort of in my field, to have a Pokemon that can, like, interface with, like, electronics. I think that would be really fun, but also potentially very hazardous. (laughs) If they're not well-trained. And a Pokemon to be... I'm not thinking because I don't have the answer, because I have it immediately. (laughs) I'm just thinking of how to explain. Like, most people, I guess, you would just take the Pokemon Mystery Dungeon quiz. But uh, if I could just pick a Pokemon to be, it would be Ralts, which is the first Pokemon in the sort of Gardevoir evolution line. It's like the baby one. Because I think they're very cute. And... That's the only reason. Also, it has to be a fairy type, so... Ralts is fairy type.
0: Okay, I've got to look at it here. Yep, Ralts is very cute. Doesn't appear to have eyes, Mm -hmm. so the eyes are hidden. But that's okay. No judgment.
2: Yeah. Sort of got the same palette as, like, my avatar on Twitter and Discord. Yeah, actually. Okay, I see that. Sort of, like, pastels and soft greens.
0: Yeah. It's just sort of a Pokemon I feel like kinship with. Just uh, one last thing, then, before you go. Ashley, thank you so much for your time. If you want people to get Thank updates so much. on the game or to just find out what you're up to, where can they
2: get them? For updates on Pedal Crash, the best place is on Twitter, at Pedal Crash. Uh, that's the sort of game's official account. I run that, so sometimes I'll just tweet the word Pedal Crash because nobody can stop me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my personal Twitter is at Flutter Sprite. Uh, that's just my own Twitter where I'll just talk about whatever and make weird inscrutable jokes my latest tweet currently is a sort of cross between a pokemon meme it's been three thousand years but changed to be a reference to the dracula perfect selection bloody tears yeah so if you like updates on pedal crash and or obscure inscrutable jokes that's where to find me all right excellent thank you so much for your time (laughs) thank you so much can I can I say one more thing to your listeners? Oh, yes, yes. You should try the arcade puzzle game Landmaker.
0: Landmaker? Uh, where, where can we play that? Nowhere. You have to find and download it. Okay. Try and find... Everyone listening, try and find the game Landmaker. It
2: did get an official release in America on the PlayStation as Builder's Block.
0: On the... Like, saw on the PS1?
2: Yeah, on the PS1. Okay. Everyone get out... Find that on eBay for $14 buy it and play the arcade mode
0: get out your ps1s or your ps3s or your ps2s mm-hmm. even play builder's block builder's block okay
2: or Landmaker maker in europe and japan it's named
0: after me so it must be good yes yes yes
2: <laughs> all right thank you so much
0: we're back from break once more a big thanks to ashley looking forward to the finished pedal crash project coming soon and uh cliff one more time big thank you to you as well for coming on and talking about steven universe with me uh it's my pleasure if uh, you want anyone to find you anywhere, either in person or online, where can they find you?
1: Uh, I'm on Twitter, at Mr. Cliffo. I very infrequently uh, post things on there. But you can uh, see me there. And uh, you can check out my improv group, uh, moisttheater.com. And uh, we do shows in and around the Toronto area pretty frequently, like once a month at the uh, Comedy Bar in Toronto.
0: Awesome. So uh, as for us, we can be reached by email at so many bits podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook, we're so many bits on there. Follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at so many bits. Subscribe to us on iTunes, please rate and review or download from Simplecast, from SoundCloud, from YouTube, or stream via Spotify. We play games, twitch.tv slash so many bits, Wednesday and Thursday nights, 8 p.m. Central Time. And if you'd like to listen to this podcast plus a bunch of other great nerdy podcasts, head to Uh, we're on there. Last but not least, thank you very much for listening. Have a great time.